This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. We're talking about the Browns' 27-25 win in Jacksonville. I do hope you guys have had a great Sunday evening and a great victory Monday morning as you may be listening to this podcast, drink your cup of coffee, or on your drive into work. Hope it finds you well. Uh, another fun win, man. I, I, listen, I, I said in, in writing the Browns' running back recap, which I put up at the OBR, uh, about you know the the different running styles of these two running backs, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and how they're closing games in the fourth quarter by running the football in a myriad of ways. Uh, kind of just how weird this is to 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 feel like this is our norm. That in eleven weeks of of football for the Browns, eleven games, eight of them have been wins, and um, they've been playing from out in front pretty consistently. So uh, it was good to see. Good good you know it's obviously anytime they get a win, I feel good about it. And not all wins are pretty, especially this team who's who's not necessarily blowing anybody out by any stretch of the imagination. But they are they're winning, and that's what matters. You know, they, there was some discussion this week about about uh, you know how they're playing against teams with winning records, and then I think it was a CBS tweet, and it was just like, you know, it's it's a welcome sight for the Browns to actually beat teams that they were supposed to beat, instead of worrying so much about beating the teams that maybe the next step qualifies for, which is beating the teams that are really good. So, you know, you start out by winning these games you're supposed to win, then you move toward winning some neutral games, which had won some, and then you win the games you're not supposed to win or maybe become the team that is favored in those games. So I'm excited. It's it's something that you should revel in, something that hasn't happened since 1994, this type of record. Uh, they clinched their first non-losing season since 2007, uh, so this is all very exciting. You can go through the ages you were at the time of these things. You know, in 1994, I'm five years old, and in 2007, I'm just graduating high school. It it, it was a pretty, uh, pretty crazy how long this has been. Um, you, know, you got a taste of it in 2014 before it disappeared at the end of the year. But this seems like it has a chance to, to actually find the Browns in the playoffs, who, who um who have a 79% chance after today's game. And 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 you know, shout out to Atlanta for beating. 
beating the crap out of uh, out of out of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders and really helping the Browns playoff odds. And the Titans also beating the Colts, you know, because the Browns have the tiebreaker over the Colts. So that's a that's a big deal, really big deal. So let's talk about the game, um, especially looking at kind of where it was statistically, as we always do. Um, you know, it's it, it's it, it, listen. This is the numbers that the Browns want to be at offensively over here. 207 rushing, 252 passing. A really nice balance there. About 275 is the sweet spot for passing. A couple throws Baker missed, they easily get to 275. Probably date, and that fact makes the game less close than it was. But nonetheless, pretty close to where they wanted to be. Baker, 19 of 29, 258. Some really fun pro football focused statistics of the last five weeks are going to come out tomorrow. Talking to a good friend of mine there, John Costco. Those numbers are going to come out tomorrow. Pay attention. You're going to like what you hear about Baker Mayfield recently. This fourth game in a row with no interceptions. You like to see that. So two touchdowns, no interceptions. Nick Chubb, stellar performance, 144 on the ground, only 19 carries, a touchdown, only along at 29, so that tells you yards per carry. Pretty consistent uh, throughout the game. Kareem Hunt, 10 for 62. That's the ideal split between those guys. 19 carries to 10 carries, in my opinion, pretty, pretty dang strong. And uh, 200 rushing yards. They've done that multiple times this season. It's a great formula for this team to win games, and they can get that sort of production. Also, speaking of production, Jarvis Landry eight catches, a buck 43, and a touchdown. He was phenomenal. Uh, due for that type of game was was tough cover, creating yards after catch, all the good stuff you want to see. Uh, Nick Chubb had three for 32. Nice screen game from Stefanski. I should note that that's uh, that's very important. Very very good screen usage. I thought for the first time this year, Nick was heavily involved. Obviously closed the game with that screen game. Uh, a big a big completion there on third down. That was fun to see. Uh, Kadero Hodge goes three catches for 31. Shard Higgins has one for 15. Should have had a touchdown. I'm sure Baker would admit that. Uh, Austin Hooper, two for 13 and a touchdown. Harrison Bryant, one for 13. Look, Harrison Bryant's got to stop turning the football over, man. He's, he's two fumbles now uh, that are a problem, and he, he, this can't become habitual for him. I, he's a good young player. I'm very high on him. I think he's a good young player, but he can't fumble the football. Certainly has to catch that football in the end zone as well. Not his best game. Certainly a rookie-type performance from him. Stephen Carlson had one catch for 11. Taewon Taylor had one to target his direction. That was uh, a drop on the sideline. I'm sure he'd like that back his first action of the season. On the defense, no sacks, unfortunately. Uh, taking away a sack from the Adrian Claiborne, uh, Olivier Vernon sandwich that happened at, uh, at Mike Glennon's, I guess, uh, behalf there that gets flagged. Just unfortunate. It's really hard when you think about you know, defensive ends are trying to do one of the hardest jobs in pro sports, which is beat athletic, nimble, 300-plus-pound uh, offensive tackles. They're going full speed to beat them off the edge, and then they have to throttle down somehow. And somehow in that throttle down, hit like a like a 24-inch radius. They're allowed to hit on the quarterback. Can't hit them high. Can't hit them at their knees or below. It's like it's so hard to get a sack when you're playing full speed. You saw it in the Tampa Bay game later in the evening. It's just, it's mind-blowing how hard they make it and how much they, and I, I listen, I played quarterback, but how much they protect the quarterback, it's just, it's a little crazy. Browns only punted one time. That was great, too. Uh, only only one punt, and it was a nice punt. Uh, they did get uh, Jacksonville to punt several times, which is good to see. So, on Jacksonville's side, Mike Glennon, 20 of 35, 235, two touchdowns. Wasn't pressured a ton, but man, he played well. He, he put some balls in good spots, especially on crossing routes. I thought he played well. James Robinson, that guy's got a real... Real bright future, uh, the undrafted free agent there. He went 22 times for 128, one touchdown, making me very uneasy about Derrick Henry uh, coming up next week. So uh, we'll have to talk about that run defense when we preview the Titans. Uh, nonetheless, uh, looks like receptions-wise, Johnson had four catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Keenan Cole had three 
for 44. Robinson also had five for 31 through the air. LaVisca Chenault, three for 31. And uh, uh, James O'Shaughnessy had two for 17. Uh, Eifert had, Tyler Eifert had three for 16 and a touchdown. Um, one sack for Aaron Lynch defensively. Smoot had a sack for them as well. Two sacks on the day. On that first drive, unfortunately, out of empty the very first play. Wyatt Teller. Sucks for Wyatt. He's having a good year, but three straight games of a sack allowed, unfortunately, uh, for him. But Joe Schobert had eight tackles in the game. Missed Joe. Great fumble uh, forced by him, punching that ball out from Harrison Bryant. Uh, shout out to Joe Schobert, man. Miss him. No, it hasn't been a great year for him. I know he's struggling through more losing in Jacksonville. Hope he's keeping his spirits high uh, in, a, in a tough, tough situation down there. But maybe they get Justin Fields, so it might not all be all bad at the end for, for that franchise and for Joe's contract down there. So uh, let's talk about the game, though. I thought... Uh, from a player perspective, uh, one by one, sort of looking at this whole thing, um, you're gonna you're gonna talk a lot about Baker. Thought he played pretty well for the most part. Made a made a bunch of really good throws. It was a fourth down comeback to Kadero Hodge. I liked. He threw a crossing route um, to to Jarvis Landry in the early early in the game. Second quarter play action, I believe, it was just an absolute dot against tight coverage. Obviously made that throw that I posted on the OBR film breakdown from the end zone with his feet in the end zone, which was a great throw. Um, you know, very brazen throw in that situation that uh, he fits in a very tight window. Some of those things were were really good to see. Felt really good about his play action fakes. I think he will grade pretty high, so uh, in the 80s at least. I thought he played a pretty strong game. Look, we can talk about that miss in the goal line. He's got to find Rashard Higgins there, and I still think Baker is is at his best when his first read is open. You know, if his first read is open, he can make that throw. Um, with a clean pocket, he's very good. And his clean pocket data of late is very good too. It's it's how Baker's able to to work against muddy pockets, you know, going from read one to read two, read three. And they're eventually going to need him to lead the offensive uh, situation. You know, they're not going to be able to play out in front every single week. They're not going to be able to um, close games running the football. They're going to have to rely on their quarterback in neutral situations or situations where they find themselves down on the scoreboard too. So how how Baker handles those situations against Tennessee, Baltimore, the New York Giants are playing really good defense, and, and they have Pittsburgh again. How he's able to handle those things, um, and maybe even perhaps a wild card game, probably tells us how we feel about Baker going into year five, four. God, it's four. It'll be year four. So there's a, there's still a ton to be determined about him. Um, he played winning football is what I coin it as um, and coin it but that's just how I call it did, 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 did the quarterback play winning football or not I think Baker did missed that throw in the goal and like I said has to find it he was too late finding you know too, clearly three beats late finding Higgins it should have been a an immediate throw once he saw Joe Schobert in the slot turn to cover the slot uh, slot fade there and, and the run under a little arrow route is what they call it when that thing's open you got to throw it right away and uh, unfortunately Fortunately, he missed it, and then his footwork got sloppy as guys were falling into his face and, and threw it high. So it's an ugly miss. And the next throw on the rollout to Jarvis Landry is an ugly miss, too. He's got to complete that throw on the run because that's a touchdown, too. So, you know, those four points in the matter of this game where Jacksonville has a chance to go for two and tie the game are very, very important. And uh, unfortunately, he missed those. And, you know, his tweet, which I thought he handled himself well with that tweet, um, was... Uh, was good to read that he knows he misses them and he's going to make them. He's convinced he's going to make those plays in the future. So uh, good to read and take take ownership of that situation. Before we talk a little bit more about this game, I'm going to talk about Indeed.com, uh, which is 
which is doing great things in the job industry. We already know that 2020 has reshaped how we work. It's almost over. Businesses across the globe have been challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical and Indeed is here to help. They're the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility of your hiring. You only pay for what you need and can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. And Indeed's new way of matching you with your candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you're spot- that you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed's offering our podcast listeners a $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it and see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit from Indeed.com slash BlueWire. It's the best offer they have available. That offer is available through December 31st at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions do apply. Make sure you check those out. Also, going to talk to you guys about our good friends at Bet Online. Hope you have taken advantage of what they have at Bet Online. They're going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. Spreads, totals, team, player, coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Get in on that. Adam Gase is the next coach to be fired. Uh, you know, gambling line that's out there. You can get it on individual player lines. Jarvis Landry, you took the over on receiving yards. You won big money. Maybe you do college football parlays. It's all there for you to do. And you can get it on wins, division, championship futures, all that stuff still available too. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So we have to talk about a couple things, which is Kevin Stefanski play calling. Great question in the Ask the Insider section that came up about they're struggling a little bit on um, uh, first possession pr- productivity. You know, it was noted that last year Freddie Kitchens' offense very solid, uh, performing in the in the opening script, and 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 from after the opening script for Fre- Freddie, it fell apart. So I think the Browns have been. You know, the question is, why are the Browns struggling this year, it feels like, on opening scripts? And some of it, to me, is I don't think they're they're predicating their entire approach to the game on, on those 15 plays. Well, I think Freddie's offensive structure relied a lot on that opening script and what can we do to take advantage of the weaknesses we know are there. Um, I think some of it, uh, they're, 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 they're flipping that. You know, Freddie worried more about the opening script. I think they're worrying more about... How does the team adjust to the formations and personnel groups that we're giving them? Do they? How do they line up to three tight end? You know, thirteen personnel. How do they line up? If we go thirteen personnel and run empty, how do they line up? You know, if we go three, you know, if we go, um, you know, if we go fullback, we go twenty-one or twenty-two personnel. Or if we go thirteen personnel with three wide receivers, how are they lining up? That's the thing that they want to know. Sorry, I should call that eleven personnel. My bad. Um, you know, they want to know. What are they doing to line up to it? And once we know and we chart up in the box how they're lining up to it or we look at it on the sidelines, then we can decipher how we're going to attack it. So obviously the Browns spend time, and Stefanski and and Alex Van Pelt and and Bill Callahan are spending time uh, charting the first 15 plays, but I don't think they worry so much about those 15 plays being successful as what are the teams doing when we align this way and run this way or pass this direction or how are they playing the boot fake on the backside if we hand it off? That's the stuff they're paying attention to because if you've seen as games have worn on, the Browns just keep getting better offensively for the most part. There's some exceptions, Baltimore game, Pittsburgh game. Uh, they've struggled in some games later than earlier, but for the most part, the majority of games they're playing 
better as the game wears on. They're finding ways to attack defenses in the run game. They're finding holes in the pass game in the second quarter uh, more often than not. And I think that's what's interesting to me is that this group is doing a, a fantastic job of altering opening up the playbook to figure out what works instead of relying on, hey, we have these 15 plays we know work, but where do we go from there? So I think that's something that should be noted uh, from Stefanski and his offensive collective group is how they're doing there. Um, defense, well, let me focus on this too. I'm not sure if this question got asked, and maybe somebody can chime in to me on Twitter, but Stefanski took that challenge uh, that there was a pretty obvious incomplete pass situation. Uh, I, I certainly think that that challenge is unnecessary. Unless, and he could have confirmed this, I'm sorry, I have not read all the quotes yet. I uh, spent some time with the family after the game most of the day um, and, and wrote that article at the OBR. But if he took the timeout with a thought process of, we were going to take that, or sorry, if he threw the challenge flag, we're going to take a timeout there anyway to talk about our third down play. Let's review it. Maybe, somehow, it gets called a touchdown. And if it does get called a touchdown, that's just a benefit. If not, we have more time because they're going to do a TV timeout. They're going to go over and look at the score, or sorry, the video board. They're going to talk through it. They're going to get on the, the headsets, all that stuff. That gives us more time to talk about chart a third down play. If that's the course of action, pretty smart in my opinion. Um, but if not, otherwise, that was the first challenge I've seen from Stefanski this year where I was like, that's a pretty blatant miss. Um, officiating, obviously a big portion of the end of the game was controlled by pretty bad officiating in my opinion. Uh, it was really nice to see the Browns flip the script and come out of a, a game where it could have gotten really weird. It, it, I mean, it did get really weird, um, you know, with some officiating gaps, especially looking like that football was clearly at the chain link to get the first down. But whatever, I was pretty stunned that they didn't give it to him. I was watching it on, on silent, and I was like, oh, man, he barely got that. And then they pointed the other direction. I was confused. So maybe the down-the-line view, which we didn't get perfectly, maybe, Shows us that they didn't get there. I don't know. I thought the hit on Vernon, uh, unfortunate. I just thought a lot of holding calls they got they got wrong. I, 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 okay, let me say it this way. Holding's been called in a weird fashion this year. I don't know that they necessarily got them wrong, but I thought they were getting a little ticky-tacky with Cleveland. I'm not blaming the officials per se. I just feel like sometimes the way the games are officiated is broken, especially the way they spot the football using the blind eye of, of relatively old men to, to go in and look at this thing. And, and make those microscopic decisions on where the football is by a chain link. It's, fine. it's just kind of interesting. And I just didn't agree with some of the flags. So, you know, you know, you could pick apart the officiating. I, I was pretty irked at the time. But from my standpoint, it was nice to see the Browns rise up and win a game like that where traditionally it would be Browns being Browns and lose that type of football game. The Jags come back and tie it. Maybe they lose it in overtime, something like that. They're overcoming it, which is good to see. I thought the defense played relatively okay. I thought Mike Glennon made some really nice throws. Listen, they're going to be bend but don't break defensively. They're missing Ward. Maybe they get back Miles Garrett this week. We'll see. But Ronnie Harrison, I think he broke his collarbone. We're going to see if that comes out. They're down bodies, man. They're down some of their best players right now. They have to be bend but don't break. And I'm a little worried about Tennessee coming coming up this week because – that's not a bend but don't break team. They're they're really good offensively, especially with AJ Brown, Derrick Henry rolling, and Ryan Tannehill. You know the Browns didn't face a real quarterback threat like Tannehill has been for them when they came to Cleveland Week One and dominated in 2019. Now we see them with an actual quarterback. It gets more challenging. Still, the Browns are gonna have to put up points. But you know, shout out to the defense today. They made Jacksonville punt several times. They played bend but don't break. Held them to field goals for the most part. Made the play in the end zone. 
it's an average group of players, man. It's a it's a it's a group outside of Miles, outside of Denzel, an average group of guys. And you could say Ronnie Harrison was getting on the path to being a pretty good player in that secondary. It's unfortunate if if he did break his collarbone, but we'll see. MRI should come back out today. Uh, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, here should come out today. Um, but they just have to. They just have to find a way to, to hold teams to field goals when they can and create two or three punts a game and maybe create a turnover, uh, a, a punch the football out or an interception. They didn't create any turnovers in this game, uh, unfortunately, but they were able to win it. So, you know, that says that says something about this group to, to have turned the football over like Cleveland did, not create any turnovers and still come out with a win. So I know it's not pretty. I know we all want the defense to be better. There's going to be reshaping done there in the future, but for now... Keep playing that Ben, but don't break style and and create opportunities for your offense to put points on the board. They won the yardage battle 459 to 375. Should be encouraged by that. I am. Again, we're going to break down games the rest of the way that the defense is going to be a problem. And uh, it's just the fact of the matter, man. The, the, the coaching quote, the Jimmys and Joes, are not, they're not that good. So... Um, they're not above expectation level, so they, they there's going to be games where they just they're just going to get worked. So hopefully they can minimize uh, how many times we see that. So it should be an exciting challenge with Tennessee coming up this week. It's an eight and three battle. Two teams, like I said, there eight and three could be a game that's flexed into a 4:25 prime time. Could be a Sunday night flex, maybe maybe not. Uh, who knows? It, it's it's uh, uh, to be determined. It'd be a good opportunity for someone to get some good ratings ahead of the Browns Monday Night Football matchup with the uh, with the Ravens. So hopefully you enjoyed this pod. Hopefully you enjoyed the article posted at the OBR. Try to get more content up this week. Try to uh, you know keep this keep this thing rolling. Keep giving you perspective of what's going on. Join us at the OBR. Seventy five percent off offer right now, which is just crazy. Take advantage of it. Ask the insider. We have great discourse. I I really really want to get. Uh, a Baker Mayfield video posted this week. My wife and I are in the process of trying to buy a house. It's been crazy uh, going through this process. It's taking a lot of time. Uh, hopefully it can work out this week. Um, fingers crossed. But it's, it's taking a lot of time, but I want to try to set a t- aside some time because there's a lot of stuff to discuss about Baker this week that I would love to get posted, and maybe we'll try to do that Tuesday night at the OBR YouTube channel. Keep your eyes out for that. Otherwise, please drop a subscription to this podcast and a review. Always, always, always appreciate that. And join us at the OBR where we have some great stuff going. And uh, and hopefully you can, can find a way to be a part of this little family we have. So otherwise, thanks for joining us. Enjoy your victory Monday, guys. And as usual, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.